Father, we do, we pray for uh, those people, the victims, God, the families that, that uh, yesterday, they started their day, everything was fine, and by the end of the day, they had lost loved ones. And God, their world is shattered and broken apart because of someone's evil intent. And Lord, we lift up those victims, and I pray that you would surround them with believers, with people who know you. God, and all of the, there was, there was many wounded, and, and I just think the people that are traumatized, I pray your church would raise up, Lord, and be a light in the midst of that darkness, and that God, out of that tragedy, out of, out of all of the ashes, Lord, your word tells us you can bring beauty from ashes. And we pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit and a work, God, in that part of our, our country, Lord, and that the people would know there is a God, and they would know that you have not forgotten them. And God, as we continue our study here this morning, looking at, looking at that last few hours of your life and how you demonstrated to us the, 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 the fortitude that you had, God, and the, and the heart that you had, and, and Lord, we want to we learn from that. We want to learn from what we're going to read about the disciples, what we're going to read about the crowd who shows up. And so, God, we want to give this time to you, and we ask that you administer to our hearts. We know that it's you, Holy Spirit, who changes us, who teaches us, who guides us. So we give you this time, and we look forward to what you're going to do, and we're encouraged, God, by the fact that we can gather together in your name freely and safely. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh, we're continuing on. If you remember last week we left off, uh, we had that night of Jesus in the prayer, in the garden praying, and then now he's getting ready to face that mob. And he's getting ready to face the one who's gonna betray him. He's coming at him. And so we're gonna look at a couple different characters. Number one, we're gonna look at Jesus and we're gonna learn from him and, and, and what he demonstrated and, and the way he walked through this. But also, we're gonna see Judas. I call Judas the great pretender. Judas, I think Judas pretended so well that Judas wasn't even sure that he was pretending. I know that all of those around him had no clue. Nobody ever pointed out during any of this time, hey, it's Judas. And here's what I know. I know there's some here today who are pretenders. You're just doing church. You don't, have a, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't love him. You don't desire to be with him. There are some here who simply, if, if we're really honest, they simply, you just don't want to go to hell. And you're thinking this is a way out. But you have to have that relationship. And so, so we're going to talk about that a little bit. And then, then we're going to talk a little bit about the crowd that assembled that came to arrest Jesus and how they all came together. And then lastly, we're going to look at Pete. Good old Peter, our hero. Peter who gives all of us encouragement because we're just like him. And we can understand. So we're going to work through this and hopefully glean some stuff. Hopefully, hey, listen, hopefully we're convicted. I don't think there's anything wrong with coming under conviction because then we grow and we change. And hopefully we're encouraged and we leave here today ready, man, ready to go out into that world. No matter how dark and ugly it gets, we're going to go out into that world and we're going to make a difference because we know Jesus Christ. 
So first of all, though, first of all, I'm going to give you some homework. You've got to read Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 18. Those are parallel passages, and it helps to kind of get an understanding. You need to read it all. By the way, last week, I gave you some homework. If you remember John 14, 15, 16, 17, how many of you did your homework? Seriously? Same thing last night. One of you lied. Just one of you lift up your hand and you can repent later on. Just make me feel better. Like, yeah, I did it. And, and you know, you can repent. Say, I lied in church just so Pat would feel better. Really? Oh, I'm going to bust you so bad in a little bit. So just get ready. Just a word of warning. But read this. Listen, read these because it gives us, listen, it gives us a big picture. And we get a better understanding. So beginning, I want to go back to verse 46 because I think it's important to tie in. It says, rise, let us be going. See my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Jesus, when he got done with that prayer and that, that just fighting his flesh and fighting the idea of what he was facing and, and fighting the idea of, quote, chickening out and giving it up, man, he fought through all of that. And then I love it, man, he gets up. Why? Because he had spent that time in prayer seeking the Lord and seeking the, you know, the Father. And he gets up and here's what he says, let's go. Now, last week, if you were here, remember I said, he didn't say, let's go, like, let's run to the other side of the mountain. Here's what he said. He scooped up those 12, so to speak, and said, okay, let's go. Let's go face them. It's time. And then, right away, 47 says, and boom, it's almost instantly Judas shows up. And this is telling me that Judas was in the forefront leading this group of people. And it says a multitude here, uh, uh, Matthew uses that word, a multitude with swords and clubs. This had to be insane. Now, number one, Jesus is facing him head on. Jesus is ready for this. But imagine if you're Peter, Matthew. Matthew was there. Bartholomew, the guy we never remember. And you're kind of wiping your eyes because you've been sleeping and all of a sudden you look up and here's a clanging of swords and guys with clubs and torches and they're coming right at you. That would be, that would be frightening. That would be horrible to look at. Now, John, in John chapter 18, John tells us that, that uh, uh, there was a cohort of Roman soldiers. A co cohort would have been 600. That's a lot, isn't it, when you think about it? They're going to arrest one guy who, by the way, has broken no law. He's broken no Jewish law. He's broken no uh, Roman law. He's done nothing immoral. He's done nothing to cause them to come. And they're coming at him with, I mean, a full armor. And imagine the clanking of the swords. I would say in that day, everybody knew the sound of those Roman soldiers as they're coming at you. And we know there were uh, some, I don't know if there was a complete 600, like John says, but John was there. And they're coming at him. And then in that multitude, you have, you have them. And, and if you read those other passages and, and kind of put them together, it seems like there were like upwards of, of some people say, a thousand men coming at him to arrest him. Wow. And Judas is leading them. Now, listen, I think some in that crowd, 
I think there were some in that crowd that were just in the crowd because they were in the crowd. Hey, what are we doing? I don't know. Someone said we're going to arrest this guy. Let's go arrest this guy. This sounds like fun. You know, you know how that mentality gets going? They didn't even know Jesus. They didn't even know about Jesus. They were just in it. Now, the soldiers, here's what I think about the soldiers. The soldiers were doing what the soldiers were told to do. They were just following orders. I remember when I got drafted and, and I went to basic training and I went in kind of reluctantly. Well, I was very reluctant. They were kind of dragging me. But you know, you get done with basic and here's the thing, and don't take this the wrong way. Basic training is about one thing, brainwashing you. Because basic training is about taking you as a civilian, a single individual, and molding you into working with a group and being part of a group and part of this army to do things, and they change the way you think. And I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but that's what they do. And you, I got done with basic training. If I got an order, I did the order. And that's all these soldiers were doing. They were told, you go, and they're doing it. Now, we have to remember, this is during Passover, right? So remember, the population exploded, and also the presence of the Roman army increased because they didn't want any uprisings, they didn't want any riots going, so they're there trying to keep a lid on everything. One time when we were in Israel, there was, uh, they were getting ready to finish the great synagogue that's in the old city that hadn't been there for ever, ever since Israel got the old city back. There was an archway for years, just an archway where that synagogue stood and they finally built it and finished it and we went when they were getting ready to dedicate it I have never seen presence of military like we did on that trip they were on horses they were everywhere around the old city just to keep things down and so those those guys would have been there so having 600 there wouldn't have been that much of an exaggeration so they're all coming at him and it's interesting they're coming at him with clubs and swords wow now, one thing before we move on, I think this is important to notice. Notice what, notice what Matthew says. He says, and behold, Judas, the traitor. It's not what he says, is it? I think it's important. What does he say? Judas, one of the 12. Listen, still at this time, they're not looking at him. Listen, they're not looking at him as that's the guy. Matthew calls him one of the 12. In other words, he's still part of us. And Matthew was there. Matthew was part of that. So I don't think he, listen, I don't think he blew it. I don't think it's a, you know, somebody just changed it. I think Matthew still looked at him. Here comes Judas, one of the 12. Matthew maybe didn't even know why he was coming with those people. Wow. There had to be a shock going on, huh? And then someone knew who, what was going on because verse 48, now his betrayer had given them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. And immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Immediately, immediately he goes up and he kisses him. And he says, greetings, rabbi. That's written in such a way that, hey, it wasn't just a, I'm, I'm trying to give these guys a sign. It was that, that whole, in that culture, that whole kiss of respect and, and, and closeness, respect for the one over you. So now I don't want you to get the idea that Judas was just acting out his part and doing that. Judas was all in on this. And he calls him rabbi once again, not Lord, but rabbi. 
And he gives him that kiss. Now, listen, man, I, I don't know how Jesus kept from just making Judas explode on the spot. If I were God, he would have just like, <laughs> and I would have said, now it's over. I mean, you gotta, you, man, this is incredible. And again, read the other accounts because Jesus, I think it's according to Luke, says, why did you betray me with a kiss? Jesus knew what was going on. The other guys didn't. Oh, and then it says in verse 50, but Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? Now, it's worded that way in Matthew, but again in Luke, he says, do what you came for. And I think that's what he's not, he's not saying, why are you here? I think he's saying, let's get, let's get this done. Today, we might put it this way, let's go. Man, can you imagine? And here's what I think is going on once again. What does Jesus call him? Friend. I think Jesus is still reaching out to this guy. One last time, man, here's your chance to repent. Here's your chance to change. Here's your chance to turn it around. The heart of God, you've got to know, is always about restoration, always about change, always about bringing us in. And he's not pushing him away. He's trying to bring him in. And Judas, man, Judas didn't do it. And listen, man, he did it. And then, and then verse 50 says, then they came and they laid hands on Jesus and they took him. So listen, man, they're coming, and, and they're, they're coming after Jesus, and it says they laid hands on him. Now, something that happened in, in John chapter 18, and I'm not gonna put all those references because you, you have to read. You, you gotta read them for homework. So in John, in John, if you remember, when they came up, and after the encounter with, with, with Judas, remember Jesus said, whom are you seeking? I kind of like that. I mean, you know, it's all formal. I, I like to be informal. I think Jesus was saying, hey, guys, who are you looking for? And they said, hey, we're looking for this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. They didn't even know what he looked like. They didn't even know who he was, which also should tell us something because we always sometimes have these pictures of Jesus as this, this great, you know, separate entity who was alive. No, he looked just like everybody else. They couldn't tell him apart. And he says, hey, who are you guys looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. And poof, they fall over. Now you gotta think about that. I mean, you're standing there and the guy says, I am he, and poof, you're on your back? I think I would kind of gather myself together and say, never mind. <laughs> Shouldn't that affect? I mean, I don't know if the whole crowd went down I don't know how many went down. And listen, there, there are people and there's some ministries who do this uh, part of ministry called slaying in the spirit where, where the spirit knocks you down. This is the only place in the Bible where anybody's slain in the spirit. And they were unbelievers. And they went down hard. You got to think about that. And hey, I think things happen to people and there's some emotion involved and, and different things going on but I don't think it's a biblical concept that's happening. Jesus here, as he pronounced who he was, those guys went down, and then for whatever reason, and, and wouldn't, don't you wanna be there that night? Like, did they just get up and dust themselves off? Would, did they look at each other? Did they talk with each other? Did somebody go over? What just happened? I don't know, help me up. I mean, come on, that's this supernatural stuff going on, and nobody's understanding it. 
And so Jesus goes through that, and then it says, man, they came and they laid hands on Jesus. And you gotta, you gotta, listen, you gotta admire that whole scene. Once again, I believe why they brought the, the whole cohort, which I think it was 600, is for this reason. Every other time they tried to get Jesus, he would disappear from their midst. Remember in Nazareth? They took him out to stone him. For Bisbee, that's hit with rocks. <laughs> they took him out and, hey, and remember he just disappeared? And then they tried to get him one time coming out of the temple and he just disappears. So I understand, listen, I understand why, why they have this group. And I, I, I kind of get this picture that they're grabbing him. Like, we're not gonna let you go this time. We've got you. And again, according to the other ones, hey, you had all kinds of people. You had soldiers, you had temple guards, you had just, I think, just some, some elders and some, quote, religious people. And I think even, hey, I think even a few of the priests there were all decked out in their stuff, their religious garb, because they wanted to be involved in that too. So they're grabbing him and they're grabbing a hold of him. And then this is, I love this scene. And verse 51 says, and suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and he drew his sword and he struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. I love that. Now John outs him. John outs him and tells us it's Peter. Have you ever noticed a little thing going on between John and Peter? Like I'm thinking, John, what do you have to out him for? You know, and then, and then a lot of people say, you know, Peter was a fisherman and he was just bad with a sword and he was trying to cut off his head and cut off his ear. I'm not going to say that because well, I have to face Peter in heaven. And, you know, he may, I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Maybe that was it. Or maybe it was a good blow and the guy just glanced and he cut, but he cut this guy's ear off, who, by the way, John tells us was a servant of the high priest whose name was Malchus, so we know his name. So this tells me something. This was an event. And you kind of look at this thing and Peter is like, I got this. Remember what Peter said, I'll die for you. Think about, now think about this for a moment. You have a thousand guys looking at you. You have 600 Roman soldiers and you, shoo, I got this Lord. Come on, Pete. He was not thinking, was he? Peter wasn't prepared. Peter did the wrong thing, all because he didn't read John 14, 15, 16, and 17. <laughs> or we could put it this way. He didn't hear that because Jesus spoke all of that to them the night before. Just letting you guys know, man, if you're not prepared, it's your fault. So here he is, man, and he lops off that guy's ear, and I kind of look at it this way. You know, parents, you know as parents, your little guy brings home something they drew in school, and it's like the most hideous thing that anybody could imagine, and a mom, what do you moms do? You put it on the fridge, and someone comes in, what is that? Oh, oh, Johnny drew that, isn't it beautiful? I think that's the relationship with Jesus and Peter. Like he cuts off the ear and, and Jesus goes, oh, Peter, that was, that was sweet. But now I gotta fix it. Or he might have said, that's exactly why I keep these guys so close to me. 
right? I mean, this is a major blunder. You just don't do that. And so Luke tells us, right? Luke, the doctor, Luke says, Jesus picked up the ear and put it back on. And everybody's still there. I mean, people are not going, listen, listen to what's happened. Guys get knocked down just because he says, I am he. And then they get back up. And then this guy cuts an ear off and Jesus goes, oh, Peter. And he says, here, I'll fix it. And and sticks his ear back on. Wouldn't you at that some point go, I think something a little weird's going on here. This is a strange night. And so Jesus fixes it. And, and you know, I, I kind of think about, I think about us. How much carnage is left behind when we draw out the sword of the Spirit and the Word? We chop off ears, we lop off heads, we cut off arms, all because we're trying to protect Jesus. Be careful, saints. You know, it amazes me, here, here, Peter blows it because he's fighting in the, in the flesh, and we'll talk about that again in a moment. In just a few months, Peter's going to be filled with the Spirit. And Peter's going to go with the Word, the sword of the Spirit, and pierce men's hearts. That's what we're supposed to be about. We're supposed to be doing that. So he does this thing, and, and you have that going down. And, and again, you got to read the other Gospels to get it. And, and then, listen, verse 52, then Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Now, the world, for whatever reason, the world gloms on to this verse and says Jesus was all about pacifism. And Jesus was a pacifist, and here he's saying you shouldn't use violence in any way whatsoever. That's not what he's saying, by the way, because again... In Luke chapter 22, right before this, Jesus gets the guys together and he says, hey guys, remember when I sent you out before and I told you do not take a, do not take a sword, do not take a purse, do not take a change of clothes because they'll be provided for you. Now I tell you, you need a sword and you need some money and you need this. And, and Peter, remember Peter goes, here are two. And Jesus said, that's enough. Like you should give yours up, Pete. But listen, so Jesus isn't about, here's, here's what I believe Jesus is saying here mainly, is we do not advance the gospel of Jesus Christ through violence, through physical force. I believe that's the main point he's making. And don't you wish that point could have got across about five, 600 years ago during the Crusades? Hey, Christianity, got a huge black eye because of the Crusades. And it's a deserved black eye. We're not supposed to do things by force. We don't force people into the kingdom. A, a guy I, I, I read about once and, and got to meet, and I think I brought up his name before. It's, it's a book of whom the world is not worthy, and, and Marion, and he had, he had a son, and, and he was living in, in uh, some place in uh, Yugoslavia. And uh, he, was up, he was up like, six stories or something, and he looks out, and his son has a guy on the ground, and he's pounding him. And Marion runs down, and he goes, what are you doing? He says, he won't accept Jesus. And he's trying to, like, beat Jesus into this guy. That's not how we do it. Now, I'm, I'm hoping he let his son know that. Son, stop doing that. But that's, this is what Jesus is, hey, 
He had to do that with his son. Jesus is having to do this with Peter. Peter, that's not how we get the gospel out. And so I believe that. And then I also believe he's once again confirming, hey, you know what? If you kill somebody, the Bible is very clear. Then your blood is demanded of you. And he's, he's reiterating that in that sense also. And then, and then this is the greatest part, right? Or do you think, again, he's still talking to Peter, or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12,000 or 12 legions of, of angels? How then could the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen thus? So, so listen, here's what he's saying. He's letting him know. He's going, hey, Peter, that sword, put your sword away. I don't need your sword. And he's saying, don't you know, don't you know what I could do if I wanted to do? For homework also, read 2 Kings. You can read 2 Kings 6 and I think through 19, but in 2 Kings 6, is, it's one of my favorite passages. Elisha, Elisha the prophet. Remember, he gets up early one morning and he's having his, he's having his espresso sitting up on the rooftop, chilling, and he just got it from Javaluya Coffee House. And he's sitting there and he's going, man, this is like the best espresso I've ever had. And he's thinking about it, and then his servant runs up to him and he says, dude, aren't you worried? Look at all the soldiers out there. And he goes, no, I have coffee. That's not what he said. But he says, why are you so worried? Why are you so freaked out? And the servant says, look at all the soldiers. And do you remember what Elijah did? I love that scene. Elijah said, Lord, open the eyes of, well, I, I don't remember the guy's name, my servant. And he opened his eyes, remember what he saw? Chariots all over the mountains. And he saw who was protecting them. All the angelic beings are surrounding them and they're safe. And Elisha said, that's why I'm not worried. And the coffee. But he wasn't worried. Why? Because, hey, there's an unseen thing going on. And Jesus right now, here's what he's telling him. He says, hey, Pete, I could call down 12 legions of angels. A legion is 6,000. He says, I can call down 72,000 angels like that. All I have to do is say it. And you got that funky sword that you're not even very good with? Why would I trust you when I have that? Oh, as if you read on in Kings, in Kings chapter 19, one angel, one angel, slews 185,000 men. He says, I got 72,000 on call. Do the math, I can't. Man, he says, I am not worried. Listen, Jesus says, and then he says, hey, if we do that, if we go that direction, then how on earth will the scriptures be fulfilled? It's about fulfilling scripture. And then I look at it this way. He's done with Peter. So him and Peter have this conversation after he puts the ear on. He talks to Peter a little bit, lets him know, I'm in control. I'm in complete control. I could stop this at any moment if I wanted to. I'm not going to stop it. We're going to go forward. And then I get this. And then he turns to this multitude who have come after him. And I love this because I think this is sarcasm. Because I do believe God is sarcastic at times. We wouldn't be sarcastic if he wasn't sarcastic. So verse 55, in that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out against me? Uh, 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 have you come out 
as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? He's going, hey, what's up with all the, what's up with all the tools, right? What do you guys got? Why you guys got all your, your weapons? What's happening? You think I'm some kind of robber? I haven't done anything immoral. I haven't done anything illegal. I haven't broken a Jewish law. I haven't broken a Roman law. What's up with that? And he's kind of, you know, kind of mocking them. And then he says, hey, guys, I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you never seized me. Now, he's really calling them out, isn't he? I love it. I love it in the midst of he knowing that they're going to arrest him and crucify him. Just call him out a little bit. Hey, what do you guys think? I'm some kind of violent horrible person and in my mind he wanted to say if I didn't want to go with you I wouldn't go with you and then he says why didn't you arrest me when I was in the temple I was there every day it would have been easy just come up and cuff me haul me away why didn't they arrest him then oh remember what the season is Passover and here's what they knew a lot of people were following Jesus and a lot of people are loving Jesus and you arrest him then, then you have a high, high risk of a huge riot taking place. And they couldn't afford that. They knew that couldn't happen. So they weren't willing to do it in daylight. They're doing it in dark. It's midnight, remember? It's probably now 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. This has to be incredible. And all of this is going down. He goes, hey, you guys, I was right there. Why didn't, why didn't you go ahead and arrest me? And then I love it, verse 56. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. It was done because that's the way God planned it. Now the sad part, this is the bummer part, the very last part of that verse. Then all the disciples forsook him. Bummer. Mark even tells us that there was a young guy who took off running and they tried to grab him and they ripped his clothes off and he ran away naked. Who many believe that was Mark himself. He was just following along. He was that little brother, that little cousin that was just tagging along and kind of got caught up in the, in the foray and, and then he takes off and, and does that. But they all ran. Do you remember what they said just a couple hours ago? When Peter said, I'm willing to die with you? Yes, so are we. We're there for you. And they're gone. Why are they gone? Why did they run that fast? Because they didn't read John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Or we could put it like this. They weren't prepared. You see, they were sleeping when they should have been praying. They were trying to figure out who was the greatest when they should have been listening. They were so, listen, they were so caught up with everything around them, they weren't caught up with the king of kings right in front of them. And they weren't prepared. They weren't prepared emotionally. They weren't prepared spiritually. I think they're a little bit prepared physically, but they weren't prepared. And you and I need to know something, man. Here's what I found in my life. Some things hit me and they blindside me and they come at me in a way I never thought they were going to come. And if I'm prepared spiritually, I can walk through those things. But if I'm not prepared spiritually, if I haven't been in the word and I haven't been drawn close to him and I haven't been seeking the Lord, man, they about devastate me. And you and I need to learn from these guys. We need to be men and women who are prepared. If there was ever a generation alive with the gospel that had more opportunity to be prepared. It's this generation. Come on. 
We, can, we got the Bible at our fingertips. You know, it blows my mind. You can carry, I carry, I think, 15 translations of the Bible in my pocket. I can pull out any time. I carry seven, eight different teachers teaching through the Bible. I can listen to any time. You can YouTube, you can do this. Now, hey, I know there's a lot of bad stuff, but there, if there was ever a generation that should be completely prepared, it's this generation. We have more opportunity and more advantage than anybody ever had throughout the history. Oh, maybe the 12 had a little bit more advantage. They hung out with him. But they weren't prepared. And then also, also even on top of that, I think they were a little bit impulsive because they're declaring things that aren't necessary. Oh, we'll be there, don't worry, we'll be there. And then they're gone. And then maybe patience has something to do with it. That's something I have to learn. You know, maybe they, oh, I'm not gonna wait for the scriptures to be fulfilled. Let's just get this thing, let's rock and roll and let's get it going. But they're gone. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine the heart of Jesus, watching those guys that you poured into take off. You see, he knows he's gonna be abandoned by the Father when he becomes sin. We discussed that last week. And that was unbearable for him to face. But I think this is just as difficult. People you've poured into, people you've given everything to, they're gone. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking, well, he knew they would come back. Oh, as God, he did. As man, he's still dealing with it. He's got to deal with that. Hey, you and I need to learn something, man. Jesus has walked through things that you and I are going to walk through, and he knows exactly what it's going to feel like, and he can, he can comfort you in the midst of those things. We have to understand that. He's been tried, Roman or Hebrews says, he's been tried in every way that we've been tried. And he's, he's had victory and we need to draw close to him. So away they go. So once again, tonight or today, I guess, it's not night. Where are you? Hey, if you're a pretender, get saved today. Stop pretending. I just want to, you know, firmly stop it. So my mom used to say, Patrick, how come it always gets formal when you're in trouble? You get all three names, you know your history. But hey, stop it. Stop pretending. I would rather you just go and sin like crazy than to pretend. It's a horrible, horrible place to be. Those of you who are Peters, like most of us, <laughs> we just gotta pray through this. And you gotta be honest with the Lord. Here he knows, you don't have to really tell him you're a Peter, you can tell him you're a Peter, but he knows. And then draw from our Lord. Several months ago, we read, when he left Galilee area and came down to Jerusalem, Luke says it this way, he set his face like flint. And that has not changed. He has not wavered. He has not turned to the right or to the left. And we have to learn that from our Lord, man. We need to set our face, set our heart like flint. We're going forward and we're not gonna let the things of the world, we're not gonna let the crisis in our life, we're not gonna let these things disrupt us going forward with Jesus and we're gonna go all the way. And you know what? And there's glory at the end of that.
and you won't regret that. Let's stand up and pray.